Paolo Tevez, Tevez da solo, Tevez, Tevez, Tevez al limite dell'area, rimane fuori tutti Tevez! Hello and welcome back to More Than A Game, a podcast dedicated to the Premier League, the A-League and more. Today on the show, Socceroos fish El Tuna out of the talent pool for a couple of clutch World Cup qualifiers, another Melbourne derby, some peak A-League moments and a manager sacking for good measure. Plus, can a lovable American save a Premier League team from relegation? I'm your host, Colby, and just as we're thinking of one, Jesse, we've got another one, the main one, back on the pod today. Jesse, how are you, mate? Mate, I'm good. Good. Happy to be here as always. And here for all of your Oz football and Newcastle United content, it's our favourite soccer journo, Shannon. Mate, how are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm even better now that you pump my tyres up already a little bit. <laughs> We've got to give you a little pump up um, every time you're on the pod. You know, you, you, you're here, there, uh, doing interviews, doing bits. Uh, good to see. Good to see. Uh, why don't you hit us with your, your moment of the week straight off the bat, Shannon? Uh, my moment of the week is... A little bit of an embarrassing one, but I love these peak A-League moments and the fact that on a match day, Central Coast Mariners Twitter got fully taken down. I think the reason was because the account wasn't able to verify that it was over 13 years old. And as as for A-League moments, I mean, come on, that's got to be up there, especially on a match day when they're travelling to Mudgee. I just feel sorry for the media guy having to switch to the Marv and the Mariners account and tweet the, <laughs> tweet the game. I, on, I honestly didn't realise this had happened um, until, like, I don't know, an embarrassingly long time after the match. And, um, like, sort of, I wasn't really on Twitter much during that match, but, like, I was... And then I, I looked back at the like the tweets afterwards and I saw all these tweets from the Marvin account and I'm like, who is this Marvin account sort of, like, posing as the Mariners and why are they doing it? And I dead set thought it was Durga Ong, like, just creating another, <laughs> you know, creating another account. And I'm like, why is he doing this? Why does he always do this? So I've given... I've, Durga, I've given you a bad rap um, if you listen to the pod. But, uh, yeah, hilarious when I found out it was actually their their burner account. It was the Mariners' own burner account. It's a real case of the boy cried wolf there um, with Durga. The, uh, it's interesting because I didn't know any of this, and then I just saw that they had Marvin and the CCM handle, and I was thinking, well, it's out there using your mascot as your main account, but, I mean, if, the, if anyone's going to do it, the Mariners are going to do it, so good on them. Um, but and they, they they made a big thing of it too. Like looking back, they're like, "All right, Martin's go, uh, Marvin's going to live tweet this and like pics of him and stuff." It was great. Yeah, it's good. You love to see it, uh, Jesse. Uh, what what did you love to see this week? I mean, we're crossing to the All Whites lads. I mean, we have plenty of roost chat to come. Don't worry about that. But um, the All Whites, Ben Wayne on debut gets a goal. My um, boy, just to get past uh, Papua New Guinea. And let's be honest, it wasn't the greatest display. In fact, probably one of the worst displays the Whites have done in a while and probably the worst possible time to do that. However, um, they got the win. Um, and as, as we always say, it's, you know, if you win when you play poorly, um, you, you've, you've got to take some solace on that. So one of the highlights of the game um, was Ben Wayne getting his first goal for, for the Whites. So, I mean, all aboard the Ben Wayne train, Colby. <laughs> and um, Ollie Sale, uh, else, you know, another A-League player, got his, I believe he got his debut in that uh, match to as well um clean sheet good 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 to see yeah and i think ben old as well as the other one um there's three of them i think on the on the same night so yeah exciting i mean I've, I've i'm particularly excited about the squad after um how we went at the olympics um so it's just building on from momentum from there and every game the all whites have played seemingly in recent history has been a friendly and i'm just i'm wanting to get the qualifiers to, to, to get to get started so we can actually have something to talk about so it's good that they've finally kicked off and you've got Fiji tomorrow. Yeah, uh, I think no Tuesday morning or maybe Tuesday. maybe um, yeah Tuesday morning. Yeah, top of the table clash. I mean, it's all it's all, it's really all for the uh, the playoff, just like it was back in the um, Australia days in Oceania. The big matches were just New Zealand and who, whoever you get in the in the play in the interconfed playoff. So it's the it's the chance to be in a hotel in Peru at four a.m. being woken up by fireworks. <laughs> Who'd pass it up? <laughs> And uh, Shannon, what didn't you like this week? 
I know we're probably going to pile a lot on Perf Glory later on in the pod, but I want to. I don't like to really single out players too much. But Mitch Oxborough, I'm pretty sure this was his first game back at you know Glory's home ground. 94th minute, you're down 4-1. He slides in with a reckless tackle to Akbari that could have like seriously injured him. Straight red. I don't know what you're trying to prove, but that's that's the kind of stuff you really don't want to see in in the game. It's just needlessly reckless. I understand there might have been some frustration with the whole situation, but to come in with that sort of challenge on like a young, you know, talented player is just a bit bizarre for me. It's like your stereotypical own goal, that one. Yep. Yep. Straight to the point. Straight to someone's uh, leg and hopefully not breaking it. But uh, yes. All's well that ends well. Uh, Jesse, what about you, own goal, mate? Well, mine's a seamless segue over from Ben Wayne uh, in my moment of the week to, you know, going back through some of the Knicks highlights recently, just reminding myself of, of how we've been. And going back to not the most recent Newcastle display where we got thumped, but the one before that when Ben Wayne scored, a certain tune came on as he scored the goal. And you may recall, Colby, that I um, put uh, Leicester City's uh, soundtrack every time they score a a goal as my own goal a couple weeks ago because every time uh, Leicester City score a goal, it's like... Every single time, right? Ben Wayne scores... That exact song comes on. So um, basically, <laughs> basically, I've completely like got egg on my face at this point because the very team I support also has the same theme song as Lister City, who I ripped into about a couple of weeks ago on the pod. So it's a really long-winded way of, of saying um, I'm eating humble pie right now, Colby. I just don't think we go far enough with that kind of thing, Jesse. I know you're not a fan, but I remember some years ago, um, I was in uh, South Korea for a friend's wedding. And um, while we were there, we went and sort of baseball game, as you do, um, which I highly recommend. Um, and as all the players were coming out, like each individual player has their own like music. Don't know whether they've chosen it. Don't know whether the club's chosen it. Mm. But like anytime they come out to bat or something like mm. that, their music comes on. And I think we need that for individual goal scorers in Australia. That's that's actually a cracking idea. I mean, I could probably get behind that. It's just I, I referred to it as moment washing a couple of weeks ago, um, just hoping that takes off. And it's essentially meaning that every moment has to be the same. It's like every time Victory scores a goal, it has to have the same sound. And I'm just like, mm. you know, I, I, th- I can understand why people do it because it generates some atmosphere, but it also means that every single goal sounds the same. And Yeah, I would love it. Like a, pl- a players choose their own as well, so they can choose like the wackiest, wildest songs. I mean, you might probably run into some copyright issues. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You know, fuck it. It's the A-League. That People aren't going to care. <laughs> and, and Joey Champness can provide his own music. He can exactly. Like, and, and in the microphone and it'll sing pitch slide. Joey C can provide his own. But then there'd be like ones like the goalkeeper, you know, if they ever got a goal. Like they'd have the most outrageous song, surely, because they think, you know, if I ever get a goal in my career, yeah. you know, no one's ever going to hear this. So, and then it comes on. So, I don't know, some, something, to think, something to think about uh, Townsend and, and friends. So, <laughs> you know, you can, you can give us... Uh, Give us some royalties for that idea. I've got a bit of an own goal this week as well. And it's it's um, people talking about COVID being a key factor in low crowds in the A-League. You know, they can, they, they're they pretty much scoring own goals on themselves this week because the, the AFL kicked off. The NRL was, I think that started, what, the week before. Or it's, it's all been pretty much starting recently. And, and look at those numbers. Um, great crowds at the AFL. I think they were down like 25% or something, but still like people turning out in force so yeah i think i think we've just got to get past that in the a-league now and and just go to games interesting too with the the afl i mean they had their first game of the round on the wednesday um i think normally it's a thursday night and it's normally carlton richmond but this time they had the uh the grand final replay on the wednesday Mm -hmm. and i think that you just even for a sporting juggernaut and as big as the AFL, they couldn't get the crowds they wanted on a Wednesday. And I think, you know, you've got to take a lesson from that and be like, you're dragging people out very much with COVID still around on a Wednesday night. You're right to point that out, Colby, because a lot of the criticism of the A-League has been, you know, a lot of games on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, where are the crowds? Well, I think it just goes to show that a number of codes would struggle to get a good crowd on a Wednesday night. 
but they're still turning out like in in much much bigger numbers than the A League. Like they, you know, they're only down twenty five percent. Where like we had a, we had a good crowd in the the Melbourne derby this weekend. I think it was like eighteen thousand or something. It looked really good, sounded really good. It was a good derby, but like, yeah, you know, just can't help but remember like I don't know five ish years ago when it was you know, 18,000 no matter who victory played and and the derbies were like 40,000 plus at, at Docklands and stuff. Not that Docklands is a great football stadium, but, you know, the, the, the numbers have dropped off. Mm. Um, but on to some news items now. Uh, the biggest one, and you alluded to this, Shannon, Richie Garcia gone, relieved of his duties with immediate effect after being dominated by the Raw, which, you know, is not a sentence I get to say often on this pod these days. But the Raw also beat... Um, Western Sydney when um, Carl Robinson got sacked as well. So coach killers, my boys. But Shannon, your burner, Orange Uno card, um, has got a question for us on Twitter. Uh, who should be the next Perth Glory coach? Personally, uh, they think Ernie Merrick. So I'm guessing you're going to say Ernie Merrick. I've Look, I really love Ernie as a bloke. He and I get along really <laughs> well. But I don't think so. I don't think Ernie Merrick's what the Perth Glory need. I think they need someone who can, like, for example, that um, Mitch Oxborough challenge I alluded to earlier, they need a manager that can make sure that stuff like that never happens, that can instill real discipline. I'm not saying Ernie Merrick can't, but, you know, they. I know, he, I know he's not available, but they need, like, a bastard kind of manager like Kevin Muscat who can just put fear into the players knowing that performances like that are absolutely unacceptable so I don't really know who's available off the top of my head but probably not Ernie for me I, I don't know it's really tough because when we talked about the first managers to go at early in the season a lot of I think a few of you guys had um, Garcia as first on the chopping block and it's taken a long time and I think the reason why I point that out is that it then has a knock-on effect as to who's actually available because and maybe if it was earlier in the season and managers are getting culled pretty quickly, you might have some um, options. But looking around, it feels a little barren. I'm not sure what you guys feel, um, but it does look a bit barren. And maybe that is reflective in the fact that we're talking about Ernie Merrick because maybe he's the only the, one of the only ones we can see that's around. Depending on what your criteria are, if you want an Australian manager, look, maybe the time is now to dip into some of the NPL stocks some of the overseas-based Australian managers, but, you know, they don't tend to want to come home and, unless they've, you know, failed in um, Greece or Cyprus or somewhere like that. Uh, so, yeah, we, we shall see. Get a New Zealand um, manager. Get a New Zealand manager so you can climb. Why not? Just like them. Why not? Have over. Just like Gianni Stensness. More on him later. West Ham uh, have um, knocked out Sevilla in the Europa League. Uh, I would be remiss not to mention this, even though Tommy's not on the pod this week have to mention it, they're through to the last eight thanks to an extra time strike again from Yarmolenko, giving the club another winner in as many weeks. What a moment for him and what a moment for West Ham. What an absolute moment. And I'm just, I'm absolutely amazed at how great our Europa League coverage is these days. It's it's the attention <laughs> to detail. I, I know every Europa League game that's happening at, at every given time. And, you know, I haven't even got a team in that competition that I support. So I think that's, I, I just owe more than a game podcast to that. <laughs> well, look, you know, um, if Tommy had his way, we would be covering the, the Conference League and the, the Nations Leagues and, and you know, just a lot more football. The two Bundesliga as well, where, um, where Sapali uh, are, are sitting top with seven games left to play, I believe. So mm. that's that's another shout out to a league that's uh, close to close to all of our hearts. But um, poor old Jackson Irvine's um, been caught up with COVID, won't make his way to the Ruse, um, and and won't be able to be as instrumental uh, to St. Pauli for the next couple of weeks. Couple more items, Shannon. One for you. Celtic Super Cup. Is is this going to go ahead or what? We've we've seen some tweets from uh, some other journo's this week saying it, it could be actually off after I believe tickets have gone on sale. Yeah, look, if Jason Pine says he doesn't think it's going to go ahead, I'm inclined to trust him because he's usually spot on the money with these things. And at first, when when he tweeted that, people were like, "Oh, maybe, maybe not." Now the fact that the Scottish media's got on board has kind of said like similar things to this, and people have made note the fact that like Rangers have only tweeted about it once and not for a while, and Celtic have tweeted about it a few times, not for a while. Man, if you bought a ticket, 
you'd probably be like shitting bricks at the moment because it looks <laughs> more likely to me that it's not going to be on than it is going to be on. You'd be combing through the Ticketmaster terms and conditions. Why not? Coming up next, the A-League men's. And press there you see the little trigger when the ball went to Reish Brimmer leading the charge and victory and won it back. Brimmer with Falami. This is where Ben Falami is so dangerous. Streaking forward, the pass for Rojas. Rojas shoots and Rojas scores. Berongi with the ball in. It's a good one. And Curtis Good, who scored Melbourne City's first goal of this season, has struck again here in the derby. Boys, uh, Melbourne victory held the champs. Melbourne City to a 1 1 draw after 120 minutes played by the victory in Japan midweek. This was this was a cracking Melbourne derby, as we mentioned earlier. Rojas and Falami combining for the first goal for the victory. Victory looked like they were controlling early portions of this game, although they were, you know, hitting City on the transition a lot of the time. City, a lot of forays into the box. Curtis Good eventually got one back for City with a good header into the ground from a set piece. Looks like one from the training ground on the verge of half time. Frustrating laps in concentration for the victory, but that's the way the, the scores would remain. Shannon, go to you first. Uh, what did you think of the derby? Two points dropped for City or victory. How, how did you see it? Firstly, like the Melbourne derby rarely disappoints, does it? Another outstanding match. Um, Marco Rojas, man, he's been playing like 2012 Marco Rojas lately. And it makes me wonder, I'm not really sure what's going on because I'm not like Kiwi football guy like Jesse or Jason Pine. Why has he kind of been on the outer with the New Zealand national team? Because Marco Rojas is a player, I watched that match against P- uh, PNG, that they absolutely need by the looks of it. So mm. what's going on there? But two points gained or, or one point? Uh, two points dropped or one point gained for victory. I think in the first half, it definitely you know, looked unfair to them that it was a draw. But that last 10 minutes, they would have been walking away from it thinking, man, we got away with one. Like even Kelleher, when when they had like a couple of corners left, he was asking the ref, is it over yet? Is it over yet? They were panicking. So the fact that they got away without losing that match at the end, yeah, that, that would be feeling very lucky. Yeah, I agree. Like I, I personally, I don't know why Rojas hasn't come back into the setup. And I figured when we were playing the matches last year, that maybe it had something to do with the fact that there was a huge emphasis on building the the youth side of the team. And there's some really exciting young players. And yeah, I, 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 I can only, I can only point to that as maybe being a reason why he wasn't there last year. But the fact that we're now in the World Cup year, and he's showing so much form. I mean, if, put it this way: if if, he, if you had a former Socceroo playing that well at this point in a World Cup year, then they're probably going to be playing, aren't they? So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see in the coming months what the reasons are if he does get back in. Because I mean, on current form, he should. And you mentioned Kelavar Shannon. Yeah, he was shitting himself in the last ten minutes of that game with wave after wave of attack coming from City. I couldn't believe that City didn't get up in this game. Excellent effort, as we mentioned, for the VUC to hold on, um, especially given their 120 minutes in Japan midweek. We know A-League squads aren't the biggest, but the Victory do have a backup keeper, and uh, Kelevar hasn't been... He's been pretty far from convincing, I think, a lot of people would say in the past couple of weeks, but it it just seems to me that um, Popovich just doesn't trust Acton, does he? Sadly not, and I don't understand why. I know Matt Acton isn't exactly Gianluigi Buffon, but when Acton has played for the victory, he has looked decent enough, in my opinion. The fact that, like, what happened with City when Tom Glover wasn't playing the best, even though you can argue he hasn't been playing the best for, like, a year, he got dropped for Matt Sutton, and then he got brought back, and he didn't play amazing in the derby, but you could tell the fact that he knew that his position wasn't guaranteed and he could be dropped made him have that extra bit of hunger, extra, like, you know, performance. So if Tony Popovic wanted to be brave and drop Evan Kelleher for a game, two or three, bring in Matt Acton, if Kelleher comes back into the lineup afterwards, I feel like he would be a far better player for that experience. Because if you're a keeper and you 
don't feel like you have any real competition, what's to stop you from making all these silly errors all the time? What's your view, Jesse? Because um, it's it's an interesting one, um, uh, you know, just about like dropping keepers in general because there are sort of two schools of thought. One is, you know, you need good competition and you need a, a one banging on the door and it's, you know, perfectly healthy to drop them because they'll come back stronger like we've seen and like Shannon was just mentioning. But the other the other side to that is that, um, you know, they're, they're quite sensitive um, goalkeepers and, you know, if, they, if they're constantly having to look over their shoulders and worried about making a mistake, it, um, it could just freak them out and make them play worse. Are we going down the protected species uh, narrative? I think like animals in the zoo. Like animals <laughs> in the zoo. <laughs> um, <laughs> like antelope. Yeah, no, I think... I think I'd probably be in the school of thought is that I like consistency with a goalkeeper. So I, I wouldn't want a goalkeeper getting rotated very often. But I think in, if we take this situation for what it is, if you've got a game days after another game and there is a need for someone to be rested or there's an opportunity or you, you, or you have a cup game just another couple of days after another game, I think that that's when you definitely have to consider rotation and trust the second keeper. Because if you don't trust the second keeper in that scenario, when do you, when do you use them? Because I mean, ultimately in a cup competition, if you go deep into it, you're probably going to end up bringing your first goalkeeper in at the business end of that competition as well. So you have to give your second um, goalkeeper some time. And that's, that's, that's at least my opinion. I think you, you need to trust them to some degree. If you don't, then I probably think the second um Second choice goalkeeper is probably going to be looking for a new club uh, pretty soon. All eyes, or, or more eyes, you might say, um, were up the other end of the pitch in this game with Jamie McLaren missing a golden chance in the 89th minute for City. Meanwhile, Daggers has been in red hot form for the victory. We put a poll on our Twitter at the end of this game saying, who would you rather starting against Japan? And we only gave the option of Maka or Daggers, but. Um, <laughs> That, that poll was actually a lot closer than I thought it would be in the end, um, with Daggers coming out at 53% and Maka 46%. Is that is that how you'd see it, Shannon? Uh, no. No. Ooh. So you're, you're Maka, Maka over Daggers then? Well, see, on form, D'Agostino's, you know, much better player, but Jamie McLaren, even when he's having shit games, he still somehow manages more often than not to find the back of the net and the fact that he's played for the Socceroos now like 20 plus times it's a crucial World Cup qualifier to be honest I would start for Neroli out of all of them but if it's only those two I'd be starting the more experienced one who's got a couple of goals at international form bring D'Agostino off the bench so he can like show that bit of X factor and maybe cause some havoc well I look forward to see Mitch Duke starting for the Socceroos uh, on <laughs> Thursday night uh, more on that later, listeners. We will we will get to uh, previewing the Socceroos' upcoming World Cup qualifiers. Uh, but moving on in the A-League now, uh, Central Coast Mariners um, have tamed the Mac Bulls after a Milicic brain explosion in Mudgee. Uh, Orenia with the double for the Mariners. Um, but all the talk was about what Milicic did in the first half. Uh, what happened there, Shannon? I'm done trying to figure out what Milicic is doing. But, like, the fact that... They're losing by this margin to the Mariners. They got absolutely slaughtered. Maybe goes to show that they should stop playing Moody Najjar and Craig Noon as wingbacks because any team's going to tear them apart with attackers playing as defense. And the fact that he's done this in the first half too, it makes me wonder if he's if he's doing okay. You know, he, he might just need a big hug and a cup of tea. So for, for anyone who didn't see this game, Milicic made three substitutions on the 30-minute mark and just looked to have absolutely lost it. And, and from there, it, it seemed pretty one-way traffic for the rest of the game. I think you'd have to say it was it was all Mariners. Like the, the scoreline is 4-2, but really it was it was a pretty dominant performance from the Mariners. I think they could have had like they could have had like six or seven goals in this game. And they just they just looked that good. Or or maybe it was just MacArthur looking that bad because I haven't seen the Mariners play like this in a while. Have you ever done that on FIFA career mode before, Colby? Just take three people off and just say, you know, you're all you're all going back to the bench. That's a rage triple sub and I have done that in <laughs> career mode many times. <laughs> it doesn't help though. It never seems to help me. <laughs> play morale dips. <laughs> Absolutely. 
I just want to give a shout out to Noah Smith. It was good to see him. I think he's claiming the goal because it was a bit 50-50 whether or not it was Urania's hat-trick or his goal. Great to see him kind of come in and score that goal. You could tell what it meant to him. And I really love that the Mariners brought both the Source Bottles and the Cannon all the way down to Mudgee to give, you know, us people in the country that realistic Mariners experience. But Next time they're going to do it, maybe just dig up a palm tree or two and, you know, bury it in the... That was all, all that was needed, yeah. We just needed to get the full the full Mariners experience. Newcastle's Central Coast Mariners uh, rivals also had a four-goal uh, win, snapping their awful run of form. But before we get to Newcastle, um, it was against the Knicks. We'll, we'll go to them first, Jesse. What, what's happened here? Just a, a bad night at the office for the Knicks? I mean, the easy scapegoat for me would be to say we had players out. And to be honest, looking at the game and, and the major moments in it, it, it felt like we had players out. I mean, it's an easy narrative for me to build, but we don't, we've had a very solid and kind of um, rinse and repeat first 11 for most of the season. And I think that that's actually built a lot of trust and some good partnerships in the players, but just goes to show you, you sort of peel back one layer and um, we were pretty exposed. Secondly, we do have a tendency when we do have a bad day to have a really bad day. And unfortunately, Newcastle owner is not the team um, that you want to, you know, have that bad day against. They seem to be putting teams to the sword. And um, some of the strikes were just, you know, you, you've also got to put credit to the um, the finishing. It was pretty pretty ruthless um, from their side of, side of things. So I think it's a combination of a really good day at the office for them and just a pretty flat performance by us and some players missing. The main marker for me of a bad night at the office for Knicks uh, is when you've got Eli Babalj scoring his first goal in, I don't know, like probably 15 years or something um, against you. So that's, that's I mean, you know, take nothing away from him. It was a good finish, a thumping header, uh, well taken. And, and you know, what, what a moment for him. But, you know, come on. <laughs> uh, and Shannon, uh, we've got a, we've got a quote from uh, Teo Pelizzari uh, in comms and that game. These are the box office Jets we were promised. We've been split on this pod about the Jets. Some saying they're going to come good, others saying they're rubbish. Well, where do you see it? Is this a turning point for them? Look, you'd think so, but over the past however long I've been watching the A-League, whenever the Jets seem to have a really good match like this or a couple of matches... You start to naively believe, like, yeah, this is going to be it. And it really happens. So I'm a bit hesitant to say whether or not it will be the turning point because no matter what I say, I'm going to look like an idiot with the Jets because they're that hard to predict. I will just say they are very entertaining to watch. I think it's a turning point for the Jets. Papa's ball is here to stay. Uh, It definitely clicked for them in the second half of this game. Um, Bumal um, got a double himself, and the second one was an absolute rocket. Um, so, look, we'll we'll wait and see whether this turns their season around. Um, but there was yet another game in the A-League uh, with a four-goal margin or a four, four goals to win it, sorry. It was uh, Perth away, uh, sorry, Brisbane away at Perth um, with a 4-1 win. Another A-League men's manager relieved of their duties after a comprehensive loss to Brisbane. We, we talked about that a little bit before, and we'll, we'll chat about the game in a moment. But Shannon, just just to, just to round off the chat on the manager sacking, definitely right decision to get rid of Tricky Ricky. Yeah, I was actually a little bit shocked they got rid of him because Tony Sage has publicly been very stubborn about sticking with Richie Garcia, even when you could tell, you know, he was just on borrowed time. So I was kind of thinking it might be one of these cases like Carl Robinson where you know they're going to go, but it just drives on forever. So full credit to the glory for actually having some conviction and getting rid of him because it's been absolutely dire. I know we can say like the schedule and COVID and all this stuff and like, yeah, to an extent that'll play a part, but I really liked, I don't know if you boys watched uh, the game last night and seen Jack Grealish, not Jack Grealish, Jack Clisby post-game, he kind of said, you know, never mind all the travel and all this COVID and stuff. We know that that wasn't how we should play. That's how we shouldn't defend and all this stuff. So I really liked that a player who's got a bit of criticism has stood up, put his hand up and said, look, you know, all the boys know it's not good enough. So hopefully 
some of these older players like Jack Glisby can start to put in a bit of effort, start to put in a bit of leadership and help save this season a little bit because I don't think they're going to make finals, but they can at least make themselves look respectable. Well, Shannon, you asked, did we watch the game? Um, a, a lot of people wouldn't have watched this game. It kicked off at, what, 10.45 p.m.? Yeah. Was it 10.45 p.m.? Daylight time, so Melbourne-Sydney time, 10.45 p.m. Look, not saying that Perth need to do everything to cater for the East Coast. Jesse, you know, you're used to watching uh, A-League matches with a bit of a time difference, uh, you know, back in the day when the, the Knicks are playing in New Zealand. Um, what do you think of scheduling like that? Yeah, I mean, we it's normal in New Zealand to sort of watch an Australian game at 9.30 if it's a 7.30 kickoff. So that's sort of, that's probably the latest you want to go. I think once you get past 10 o'clock, it's pretty rough. You're, <laughs> pretty into rough. The, you're into the Premier League by then. like. Well, that's the thing. Um, that's that's it. Like I was um, giving people a bit of stick in the uh, group chat last night, calling them Euro snobs for watching the Premier League, <laughs> <laughs> even though I was watching the Premier League. Um, but... I think that that's the problem you you run into if you go too late on a Saturday night. You know, it does. It, no one wins in that uh, situation, especially the broadcaster. And I actually found it funny because I was like watching and scrolling through Twitter, and I seen all these tweets blowing up, like, "Oh, what's the ref doing?" or something. And I'm like, "Did did I miss something in this game?" And then I realized, "Oh, wait, it's like twelve o'clock at night. People are probably watching like, you know, the Premier League or stuff." So it mm. was a bit weird seeing people tweet during a match about, you know, a match on the other side of the world. Because it was not only the late start, right, but it was like I think there was about at least an hour's gap between the main kickoff times and that game as well. So I I don't know what the reason for that was, but you would think that they could have reduced that to sort of get some people who were keen on watching and just, you know, ride the momentum into the next game. I think that's really what you need um, if you're you're Paramount Plus to keep the the eyeballs on the A-League final game of A-League that I guess we're going to cover on, on the pod today, um, Sydney 3, uh, Woo 0, Sydney dominant. Um, but did we, what, what did we actually learn from this game? I, I thought this one was going to be a blockbuster, but I just found myself watching the mainly watching the uh, Melbourne Derby during this time. To be honest, I don't think many people, even like people in New South Wales, would have been switching to this one over the Melbourne Derby because... You watch this one for a couple of minutes. You've watched the Melbourne Derby. The atmosphere is night and day. Um, I did watch this game on replay, the extended highlights at least. Mustafa Amini, I was very pleased to see get a goal, and he looks to be playing really well. So people saying his career was finished before he come with Sydney FC, and you know his, his knees are wrecked and all this stuff. It's good to see him kind of proving them wrong, and maybe... Even he can work his way back into Socceroos contention later on. Who knows? Well, I mean, we're pretty light on in the midfields. Um, so maybe, you never know. Um, and it was a well-taken goal, won it high and just slotted it. So uh, very good. Adam LaFondra, meanwhile, hasn't scored in like eight, maybe nine games now for Sydney. Bobo, I suppose, looked okay in this game and he's got to get a goal every now and again. But, you know, the, those problems remain for Sydney. But look... Didn't uh, haven't been hearing um, the the you know as much of a meltdown on Twitter after two wins on the bounce for Sydney. It's, a, it's um you know the, everything seems to be fine again now. Imagine choosing Lafondra as your golden boot at the start of the season. That's what I did, and um, oh, rip <laughs> a moment <of> silence. <laughs> I chose so, Previc. I was all Ooh. over the social saying Previc would be my like outside chance for the golden boot. He's done okay, but I think he's scored like four goals. So the A League Anatovic. The A League <laughs> Eastern Europeans Latin. Yeah. Uh, I, I just went straight straight bat and said Macca. So um, mm. you know, lock that in for a dollar and one. Corica back to being a genius now, boys. Are we changing our mind on 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 him? I just think that the woo. I, I, I just don't think – I think what you said at the beginning about not knowing what just to think of either team at the end of this result pretty much sums it up. I don't feel like I've learned anything more about the Woo um, than in previous weeks. I feel like these teams are playing each other at a rate of knots at the moment. And, you know, taking the next example, they got absolutely thumped by Newcastle but then beat them a week or two before that. It's, it is mm. just erratic at the moment. So I don't know. Yeah. 
the results. Yeah, a league is so tough to call this season. Like the Woo are still nine points ahead of Sydney with a game in hand, um, and you just wouldn't think it on on the back of that performance. But you just never know week to week. I think Shannon, you were talking about the the Jets making us look like fools. I think there are a lot more teams than that making us look like fools in the A League this season. Mm. There's one more game left in play as as we're recording. It's Adelaide and Western Sydney at Western Sydney. Um, it's currently nil all, so uh, we're not going to cover that one on the, on the pod this week. But you know, just let's just hope there's not a scorpion kick, and we'll move on to the Premier League. <laughs> Coutinho, a beautifully weighted ball. Trinkau's onto it. And set it back for Johnny! And here's Potence. And here is Trinkau! He has fisted in! Aiming at Ailing, and Ailing's in! And Ailing hits the post! And it's scrambled off the line! And it's in by Harrison! And Leeds have a big interest! being checked and Ailing's played it in and James has hit the woodwork oh, wow. oh this is harem scaring stuff and Sars come out it's oh. two each it's Rodrigo it's crazy and Harrison kept alive by Ailing lifted into the air by Bolly Strauss competing Ailing this is transformational this is Leeds from the dead. We've got to start in the Premier League with uh, Wolves and Leeds. Um, the game had it all, it had injuries, a red card, buckets of added time, a late winner um, and a comeback um, and to see just what it meant to Leeds in the context of their relegation battle. Can Jesse March, though, steer Leeds to safety after they produce that sensational comeback win um, against a 10-men Wolves? Jesse, we'll start with you. Well, I was looking for the Apple TV cameras. Where's the next series of Ted Lasso being filmed? And I thought it was at Molyneux the other night because it was just, it was a fairy tale comeback. Um, but, and did you see the fist pumps and the, the hugs of the players at the end? Uh, he, he seems like a great guy who's really embracing the Ted Lasso narrative. So I, I'm enjoying that side of things. But uh, having a good, a very good friend of mine who's a big Leeds fan, um, he said he had to go walk around the block and just calm down um, after, the, after the final whistle. Because, yeah, I mean, I can imagine if you were a Leeds fan, it would be an absolute roller coaster watching that game. And if you think about it as well, I mean, we'll get onto it. But I mean, the, the red card seems to have been a little bit controversial. And you you think about how much damage Wolves sustained after the red card. And it just awoke leads um, from that moment onwards. So a wild game. And it's funny because if you think about some of the best games we've had this season, they've been three twos. I mean, Tottenham, Manchester City was only a few weeks ago. Mm. Uh, and this is another three two. And, you, you know, if you woke up and you just checked the score but without even watching it, you would have known that it was a belter of a game and it, and it didn't disappoint. It was a belter of a game by the score, but then when you actually see the game as well, yeah. uh, it wasn't just a 3-2 with a late winner. They were 2-0 down at half time. They were dead and buried. And then there was a red card that changed the game. Often they don't change the game and you see the team not know what to do against um, uh, you know, less opposition or fewer men on the park. But Leeds... They, they just switched on, as you say, and it's the first time I think that they've ever come back to win a Premier League game after being two goals down at halftime. What a performance from them. But in terms of whether they can, I guess, navigate their way to staying in the Premier League next season, they lost a few players to injury in this game as well. Um, on the way, Bamford was on, I think, for his second game and then looked to have done his hammy again. And, and I don't know, by the looks of his face, he looked pretty devastated. So, mm. you know... Didn't look like good news. And um, Melier got um, taken down in that clash with uh, Jimenez that ended up getting Jimenez sent off. Um, so Melier was out. And, and Leeds, as we've been talking about, have already been struggling uh, with key player injuries this season. So um, how big of a blow would that be, Shannon? I don't think at all, actually, because I, I feel... I'm not a Leeds fan, but I feel when I watch Leeds play just this amazing belief and I feel like everyone in the stadium would be feeling the same all the players would be feeling the same it feels like no matter even when they went down 2-0 I just had this feeling that like they can come back you know what I mean they 
they're like the Adelaide United of the Premier League. They just seem to pull a result out of nowhere in the last couple of minutes. And I feel like no matter who gets injured, who, who gets suspended, what happens to them, I just I feel like this amazing belief that they can just do it. I know that might just be like the fairy tale story, you know, capturing my heart. But yeah, I, I got a real feeling. Like I'm all aboard the hype train of this one. <laughs> can I can I also point out? Like I, I did mention it a few weeks ago on the pod. I think I was, I was speaking to Tommy, but it, I remember this as a Liverpool fan uh, when he was coaching when when Marsh was coaching. Uh, I think it was Salzburg at the time. And it was a, I can't remember if it was Champions League, but they were they were dead and buried. They were down like um, three 0 I think it was at halftime, and then they came out and they scored three goals. I think this is when Harlem was still playing for them and Minamino. Basically, Minamino played himself into a Liverpool contract that one in that, in that one game. But they had um, they had Huang, they had Minamino, they had them all on the pitch, and they scored three goals. And it was actually a late Salah goal that got Liverpool across the line to win four three, but. This was um, also televised because he did a halftime speech, which was uh, included in, in, in an all or nothing or something to do with uh, RB Salzburg. And everyone sort of thought it was a mixture of cheesiness because, you know, he's American and he's doing the halftime speech, half in German, half in, in English. So take that, with, I guess, with a little bit of grain of salt. But whatever he says definitely connects with the players. Like he's That's an example of getting a team that was dead and buried to come out of nowhere and, 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 and redeem themselves. So... Clearly, he's got a bit of a Midas touch when it comes to the halftime speech. Um, well, he doesn't need to say much at Leeds, does he? He just turns around to the boys, taps the sign and just says, believe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fair play. Elsewhere in uh, relegation battle, uh, Everton uh, got up 1-0 uh, with another late winner against your Newcastle United, Shannon. Thoughts on Newcastle's chances? Um, they've had a great run of form, but um, they're still very much uh, in and about that relegation zone. Yeah, I, I don't think we'll get relegated. I know it's weird hearing me talk positively about Newcastle now, but Eddie Howe, man, what a manager. What he has done with this side in such a short period of time, what Joel Linton has done with himself, he is like was the most hated person any Newcastle group his name was mentioned. You'd, you, you, you'd get your ass kicked if you mentioned his name positively. Would you say he's now the, um, the the second coming of Patrick Vieira? He he is our best player, <laughs> no doubt about it. Um, and wow. he's he's managed to take himself from this figure that everyone was like the butt of the joke. No one rated him. He's managed to work hard. You know, reinvent himself. And well, he's reinvented himself from Joe Linton to Joel Linton. I think he's just changed a letter, hasn't he? <laughs> and <laughs> I honestly believe he's he's an outside chance for a Brazilian call-up. I believe he should Whoa. be on the Brazilian side. That may be bias, but he has done that much for Newcastle. It's like when Oli Bezenic come to Mariners in Aussie terms, and he kind of like turned around the team, put that composure in the midfield, had that leadership it really turned their season around. And I believe when we survive relegation, 90% of it's because of Joel Linton and Eddie Howe. Just amazing. But the fact that we lost this match, the fact that Everton is even in the relegation discussion, they both baffle me because this is a match Newcastle should have won. Your boy, Chris Wood, like, come on. Like, what is he doing? But... I, I guess good on Everton. They they managed to show resilience, and you could tell what it meant to everyone in that stadium when they scored that goal. Even as a Newcastle fan, I was a bit like, "Yeah, okay, like it is what it is." Yeah, well, like Colby said, you've been on such a fantastic run of form, and there's definitely like considering where you were before then, like there's definitely wins in that streak that you would have expected a draw or a couple of points dropped here and there, but the fact that he's just had back to back wins. Um, has made a huge difference. So I suppose, and that w- with that kind of context, um, a loss along the way isn't the end of the world right now. I was listening to a podcast maybe a couple of weeks ago, um, and they were talking about Everton's relegation survival hopes. And you know, you often hear with a lot of these when they're talking about the teams, like they'll get out the fixture list and they'll they'll say, "Oh yeah, we've got you know a couple of top six teams, but it's it's mainly teams that are below us." So you know, it's all to play for. But the, the, they were saying about Everton, 
it's all to do with their home games. It's all to do with Goodison Park and, like, that's what's going to save them. And, and you could see that in this one, like, it was just limbs at, at the end um, when, they, when they got up. So maybe there's something to that. The other thing in this game, of course, was the uh, Just Stop Oil pitch invader who, like, cable tied himself to the goalpost. Um, and I mean, that's just given us some some peak Premier League moments. With I, I don't know if you've seen the gif going around with the guy like trying to cut it off and yeah. a meme, yeah. and um, yeah. oh, it's just it's it's given us a lot. Um, but oh, look, I think they should have left him on there. I think he could have been pretty handy uh, on corners. <laughs> should always have a man on the post. <laughs> always have a man on the post. So yeah, I mean, you could have left him there. For the entire game, and then everyone could have just packed up and gone home. He'd still be there now. <laughs> That's it. That's what he wanted. Um, but boys, at the other end of the table. Let's have a quick chat about that, rather than particular games. Because um, looks like we've got a title race. So, so on Tuesday, you know, good old Crystal Palace, nil all, Manchester City uh, drop points. So Liverpool uh, went and won their game against Arsenal on Thursday. So now they're within a point of Man City. Jesse, how are you feeling? I'm always optimistic about our chances, but I was never this optimistic. I thought uh, I, I knew that we'd never sort of give up in the in the league, but very much reliant on Manchester City shitting the bed, and they've just had some poor results. Like, and they haven't like they were lucky to get past Everton. Like they should have conceded a last minute penalty, uh, and we saw that sort of that luck sort of turn against them a little bit in the Palace game because they hit the post a couple of times as well. They just, they look like a team that the deeper we go into this and the closer the points tally gets, they're going to be in a bit of crisis because they need to focus on two things. They need to focus on the league because obviously they've been leading for so long, but they also, they're desperate to win the Champions League. And it's just, it's, it's something's going to have to give at some point. I mean, if any team can juggle both, it's probably Manchester City, but their game against Liverpool was shouldered by their games in, in Spain uh, against Atletico and, and back home. And those are huge games and taxing games against Simeone's team. So, yeah, I, I think it's going to be really interesting, Colby. And I'm, to be honest, like I'm just relieved we do have a title race because for a while there it looked like it was dead and buried. And I thought it just it just seems really brutal to uh, to have the title race all wrapped up in January. So the fact that we've actually got one on makes it way more exciting. It's going to be so much more enjoyable to watch. We thought it was wrapped up at Christmas, pretty much. We were all sitting here on this podcast going, well, that's gone. Let's talk about relegation. And, you know, if there's a, if there's the, a, a good game, so be it. Um, but, Shannon, how are you seeing the title race? Yeah, I, I feel like uh, Pep's whole time at City, the narrative has been, when's he going to win the Champions League? He hasn't won the Champions League. And I feel like for him personally and the club, they might think, okay, now's our chance to win the Champions League. We have to do it, but it's not going to look good, right? The fact that they had this lead that everyone was like, oh, they got the title wrapped up. Now Liverpool have caught them. And, you know, they're at the pointy end of the Champions League up against very good teams. I have a feeling that they might not win either. And if that happens, the question should be really, do Manchester City move on from Pep Guardiola? Because a good manager great manager like Pep should be able to juggle both the league and the and the Champions League, especially when they had that sort of commanding lead. And I feel like he could do it at Barcelona. He could do it at like Bayern, even though he I don't think he won the Champions League at Bayern, but he could still juggle things okay. But it feels like when he tries to do both at Manchester City, he ends up achieving nothing. And Jurgen Klopp managed to do like both, juggle both. Like a good manager can do it. So the question should be, you know, does Pep? How, how long does Pep stay at Manchester City if he doesn't achieve either? Is he gone? Fraud. <laughs> I, I think um, personally for me, like I, I think that your point on Klopp there really is, it's a really important one because personally, I think that the thing that Liverpool fans have over City fans, at least for now, and I say with an asterisk, at least for now, is the fact that they haven't won the Champions League. And my biggest fear is City will go on and win the Champions League. If they win the Champions League and the league in the same year, it's so demoralising um, as an opposition fan. So 
I'm just hoping they drop one of them and that we win the other. But like, there are some quality teams obviously left in the Champions mm. League that could knock both teams out. And well, then, it's all and- about. Uh, so sorry, Jesse. It's all about Liverpool and City, though, isn't it? Like they could they could meet in the Champions League final. They could meet in the F uh, the FA Cup final. Um, and then, of course, you've got that crucial match uh, in the Premier League coming up in a couple of weeks' time. So, yeah, we, we could see we could be in for a couple of epics. Mm, hoping, hoping. I'm, I'm just the only thing left, as far as I'm concerned, is I just hope we don't fall off from here. I just hope we don't have like a fizzle where we get really close and then they pull away again, and that's it. I'm just hoping that this conversation we're having is still happening in a, a month from now. So we've got a title race. We've got, uh, you know, a very healthy or unhealthy, depending on who you support, relegation battle. Um, but we've also got a top four race um, because, of course, Arsenal, um, despite that blip against Liverpool, that's an in- inevitable loss for for almost all teams. Um, they, of course, st- uh, got back to winning ways against Aston Villa on Saturday, winning 1-0. Tottenham, uh, they have... Uh, been pretty inconsistent, but still managed to look pretty convincing and be there or thereabouts as well. 2-0 over Brighton. Manchester United are very close as well. And, and so are West Ham. Arsenal, though, seem to be pulling away. Um, are they are they going to lock away top four, boys? Maybe. I feel like West Ham, my favourite team to watch, aside from Leeds, obviously, they always seem to pull out a banging performance and they always seem to just somehow scrape by in these games like Sevilla where you don't think they're going to win. So they're my outside chance to lock in a top four, and that would be absolutely incredible for me to see, personally, um, someone different you know, getting in the top four. I think Arsenal probably have the best chance out of who you've mentioned, but, yeah, I, I don't think it's a lock-in yet. It's, it's, it's massively understated the fact that they haven't got other competitions to worry about Arsenal. Like they are just literally focusing game to game in the Premier League. And it was very ironic that Arteta was complaining about the short time span, uh, time span between the two games this week because what he's describing is what everyone else has had to do with European competitions um, all year. So they have, they are just, they've just got one focus right now and you can see it the way they're playing. It's very much a focus on one thing. Oh, and it's it's great to see, and we've talked about it before, but the the young players who are who are coming up there, and and the way it's all starting to click for Arsenal, it's um it's very exciting, and they've you know they've they've got rid of some of the bad apples, and they've um you know they just look to be hitting a real stride. It's it's good to, good to see them back there. Just on the game, Colby, like watching that one because it was the only game obviously on last night in the Premier League, and watching it through. Going on to what you were saying about the young players, the the touch and the speed of passing just was so clearly superior to Villa. Like I was sitting there thinking, like Villa, they don't actually have a bad team. Like they've actually got a few players on there who are pretty good, but that they could they just couldn't shift the ball fast enough. And every time they they would finally get it out to a wing back, by the time they'd done that, Arsenal were organised and had them pinned in the corner. They just I don't think they had a shot on target all first half, and I think it took them to the second half like the end of the second half to get a shot on target. So the defense has been so sound from Arsenal, but it's not just that, like what they've added in the last couple of weeks seems to be this crisp one touch passing, um, which is just really nice to watch. You know, even if you don't support them, you have to, you have to applaud the football. And still to play uh, in this short round of the Premier League, uh, Leicester and Brentford and Tottenham, West Ham, Tottenham, West Ham in particular could have implications, of course, both on 48 points as to who's going to go or have a chance of playing European football out of them next season, let alone the top four. Who, who have you got in this one? Uh, West Ham. Um, I'm going to back Tommy's boys and go West Ham. Spurs are on a win-loss, win-loss, win-loss pattern. So if they won their last game, they're probably going to lose it. Um, so um, Flip yeah. of the coin with, with <laughs> uh, Tottenham, isn't it? Um, um, it is and- a home game, though, for them, so I'm, I'm going to back Spurs on this one. Coming up next, we'll preview the Ruse upcoming World Cup qualifiers. So, Shannon, the Ruse, uh, they've got five potential debutants in the squad. That squad dropped this week for those crucial World Cup qualifiers against Japan and Saudi Arabia, uh, Daggers, Atkinson. 
Gianni Stensness, Rolls, and of course, Bruno Fornaroli eligible to play for the Socceroos due to that FIFA rule change that made him eligible thanks to being an Australian citizen or a naturalised Aussie. Firstly, um, what, what do you make of the Bruno call-up? There's been a lot that's been said about it. Yeah, look, I understand people's disappointment because realistically our national team shouldn't be in the position where we need to call up a 34-year-old you know, Uruguayan import to the A-League as our number nine option. We should have some young players coming through. But the fact of the matter is we don't. Yes, it is a short-term solution, but you know, in a crucial World Cup qualifier where we need to score goals, we need to win, he is our best option at doing that. Even though he's 34, he's still a fantastic player and he can cause unique troubles to what any other Australian player can do. He turns his back, he's tricky. You know, people, um, when he first come to Melbourne City, they jokingly call him Fallen Rolly because of all the havoc he calls in the box. But, you know, that's that's what we want. That's what we want up front. So personally... I don't think we have a better option at number nine, as dire as that may be. So, you know, if if he's available, we should pick our best players. We should pick the best available players. Absolutely. Couldn't couldn't agree more. Um, And we do have an availability issue at the moment, like putting the pathway to one side. Um, But I think, um, you know, we've even got a goal problem when we've got all of our strikers fit and healthy. And that that really is the thing that speaks to the development issue. But, you know, we've been... We've had, I suppose, a lot of people on social media pointing to that development problem and, and sort of pointing out the the age and, oh, is a, is a Uruguayan naturalised Aussie? But, look, we've had this problem for years and I, I didn't see, too, you know, as many people um, complaining when we had a 37-year-old Cahill and a 30-something-year-old Yedinak getting us to the last World Cup. Like, this is this is a problem that needs addressing regardless of um, whether he's Uruguayan or not. And, like, you'd just love to see it still, though. Like, you know, if anyone's questioning whether Bruno Fulleroli wants to play for Australia and is happy to be an Australian citizen and is going to put his heart and soul into wearing the shirt, like, go and watch his interview um, that was up on the Socceroos website and and hear how he talks about it and and what it means to him um, to, to be called up and, you know, like... How, how can you not smile and how can you not love that? Yeah, exactly. And Michael Zappone, um, he's mentioned a few times his first ever interview with Bruno Fornaroli, he couldn't speak English. And now look at him, you know, being a proud Australian saying, you know, I am Australian. But mm. it, it kind of makes me a bit curious as to why people are, you know, so annoyed about the fact that he's Uruguayan, he wasn't born here not just his age, it's that thing, because we look at, like... That's right. You know, Martin Boyle, born in Scotland. Harry Sudar, our best player, you know, born in Scotland. We have a lot of players who are in our national team who are born overseas. Fran Karicic um, didn't even speak English when he was called into the the whatever squad of the 2018 World Cup. And people are having issues with Fauna Rolly, who's lived here since, like, 2014 and is an Australian citizen. It just baffles me a little bit. Yeah, that's sort of what I was getting at as well, because like a lot of people were conflating it with the development issue, which we all acknowledge is an issue. And I think actually I'm optimistic that that's being fixed due to the um, the better pathways from A-League academies now. And, you know, that's that's taken years to develop, but I think we're starting to see fruit from some of those, like with the likes of the Wanderers Academy and the City Academy. Um, there's talent coming out of Sydney. There's talent coming out of Adelaide and Brisbane. Um, we are seeing it, and we're going to see more and more of it now, I feel, with the A-League, and particularly once we get the um, domestic transfer system, the pieces are all coming together. But something just didn't feel right to me, the way they were, you know, talking about him being Uruguayan, and they were really bringing nationality into it and sort of muddying those issues that didn't didn't sit right with me. And like you said, he's Bruno Fornaroli is, is more much more connected to Australia than a lot of the other players that are playing as um, active Socceroos at the moment. So anyway, we'll leave we'll leave that there. Plenty more uh, to talk about on the squad. Um, as of today, Ben Falami and Kenny Dougal have been called up to the squad after Goodwin uh, and Jackson Irvine had to pull out due to COVID. Big blows, Shannon? Yeah, Goodwin in particular, I feel like 
given the way he played, you know, last time he played for the Socceroos and his form, I felt like he was going to start. I felt like he was going to, you know, play well for us and hopefully help us to a good win. So that's a bit disappointing. Jackson Irvine, too, he's, he is a key member of our starting 11, but I feel like it may be a blessing in disguise because I feel like it may give the opportunity for Denny Jonro, who I wholeheartedly believe is our best midfielder. Well, not, not currently, but the future of our midfield to get a start because Denny Jonro, the work he does off the ball is the equivalent of having like three players in the midfield. So it's, it's a real shame that Tommy Rogic is out injured because I feel like a Denny Jonro would allow someone like Tommy Rogic, who really is a luxury player, doesn't do too much defending, the freedom to attack. So hopefully, you know, it can allow someone like Rustic to really be able to have some freedom attacking and put forward to Fornaroli to hopefully score the winner. I actually think we've got some real problems in the midfield. Um, no Moy, no McGree. Uh, you know, hopefully we'll see the likes of Kenny Dougal getting some minutes. I mean, who else is there? Like Jimmy Jago. Um, well, I know Arnie loves him, so he should get some minutes, but I, I've never really seen the, the fuss there. I, I think our midfield's looking pretty light. Yeah, it's a shame. Like the Socceroos seem to have an issue where when we have players out, it all seems to be in the one position. That's my feeling. feels like if we have a problem with strikers, it's not just one, it's all of them. If we have a problem with midfielders getting injured, it seems to be all of them. So it's going to really test our squad depths, but hopefully a player like Denny Genre, who's been playing amazing in France, he is my boy for the record, will get his chance and will play well. And who, who else are you happy to see in the squad? Any, any other names you'd like to call out? Um, I am happy to see Ben Falami because it really goes to show, you know, how, how much of an impact Tony Popovic has had on a bunch of players. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't really a nailed on starter last season. There was questions about him. I don't think he made the Olympics final team, if I'm not mistaken. And now all of a sudden, we've seen him playing against Vissel Kobe, come off the bench, cause some real havoc. Now he's a Socceroo. They're the kind of stories that give hope to a lot of young players. So I'm quite happy to see him in the squad. I am a bit disappointed for Mark Birigidi, who I have been told was in the initial squad but got cut. I Honestly, like Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think there's been a goalkeeper in the league who's been better than Birigidi, so it just baffles me. I'm not I'm not here saying Arnie picks his name. FC conspiracy, Shannon. <laughs> are just baffling a little bit quietly. Well, that's, you know, because you've preempted my next question with who is unlucky to miss out, and Beerus was on the top of my list as well. Like, I mean, Vukovic, I don't know if he's played much at all recently, uh, and Redders, he's been seriously challenged for his spot at Sydney. Like, he'll still, I think he had a good game, kept a clean sheet against the Woo, made a couple of good saves, but he has not had a good season by his own standards. And I think he would admit that um, he's been, his form has been patchy at best. I think you would say. So I think Bear is hard pressed to miss out. I actually think um, Jason Davidson too, who former soccer himself, I feel like he was an outside chance to make the squad because he's been playing really, really good this season. And I was half expecting him to make the squad, but I do understand, you know, bringing in, uh, Joel King, who's I think he's only twenty twenty one, just moved overseas. Bringing him in for that spot over Davidson, who's already you know he's thirty one, he's already been in the ruse. So that that's one of those ones where I feel like he could have been in the squad, but I understand the reasons why there. And on to, onto the game then I, itself. Um, obviously we've got the Japan game coming up this Thursday night, the twenty fourth. Uh, huge game. It's going to be played in Australia. How's it going to play out? Hopefully, it's going to be one of those cases where we've had big games in Sydney before in the past. We had the Iraq game, the Uruguay game, Asian Cup final, and the home crowd's really been the 12th man. Hope it's history repeating itself where, you know, we have an iconic Socceroos moment and we have the win. I'm being blindly optimistic, but I am happy at the fact that Japan's, you know, Number nine, Yuya Osako is out injured. I know it. 
I know it's not good or COVID, whatever. I know it's not good to, um, you know, be happy that an opposition player has had a bit of hard luck, but I think that's the real boost that the Socceroos need considering all our personal injury worries at the moment. So I think a 2-0 win with Bruno Fornaroli maybe scoring a consolation goal in the 93rd minute to seal the, seal the win for us. Wow, so so a two-one. You saying to Australia? Two-nil, two-nil. Holy moly! I would be ecstatic with that. But it's a must-win for Australia, sitting in third in the group at the moment, three points behind Japan in second. Um, absolutely critical to keep our hopes of automatic qualification alive. Um, yeah, as we said, that'll be taking place in Sydney on Thursday night. Um, we, we've seen Japan's squad. I mean, yeah, you take Osako out of it. That it's still absolutely stacked. Japan are hitting form. They're a, a really solid team. They've won five in a row in in World Cup qualifiers. So um, it, it's going to be a really really tense match. Um, and the, you know the most critical game I think I've watched Socceroos wide uh, wide since the Syria game or since the Honduras game. Although I was less worried about the Honduras game once it got back to Australia, back to Sydney. Um, as well, um, because they were playing for one result. But I think Japan will be, um, yeah, an incredibly dangerous opposition. Exactly. And fingers crossed my blind, stupid optimism can rub off on the team a little bit and we can get something out of it. We'll, of course, be back next week to review the Japan game and look forward, hopefully, uh, to the Saudi Arabia game the following week. But that'll do it for us today on the pod. Thank you again for listening. As always, you can uh, keep up with us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Reddit. Uh, we're, we're also on TikTok now. I think Damo started a, a more than a game TikTok, so MTAG podcast, get around us. <laughs> uh, and we'll have links to all of those, or hopefully all of those, in the notes to this podcast. Next time, uh, more A-League, Premier League, and the, the Socceroos, as we said. But until then, enjoy the football. Mm-hmm.